0: This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Gospels, and I find it strange that it's located in three out of the four Gospels, and I find that strange because it's so controversial. Uh, Jesus is being mouthy, this lady is being intense and is contending with him, and I find that fascinating, but in some ways I find it a really comforting passage because Jesus has this uncanny engagement with an untouchable. It shows that He's, in some ways reaching out in a deep way to an untouchable. And everybody has felt like an untouchable at one point uh, or another. And maybe it's because you're divorced or maybe it's because you were abused or neglected when you were very young and only you know that uh, tattered story. Or maybe, you know, you were publicly maligned at your job or you got in big trouble because you embezzled or you plagiarized and you got fired. Or maybe you have a sibling that is always in the limelight and you're always in the shadow. At least that's how you perceive it. Or maybe your wallet is empty or maybe you aren't smart enough or you don't think you're smart enough. Or maybe you were born the, what you regard as, as an unhelpful color or an unhelpful shape. Or maybe your family name was tainted through some sort of uh, beleaguered history and you have inherited that name and all the associations that go along with it. But uh, maybe you felt that way, right? That life is like this grand party for everybody else, but you never got the Evite, you know? Or maybe it was sent to your spam folder, and you never discovered it, and you're always on the outside looking in. And even when you're invited to the party, you're never really one of the inner circle. You're not one of the crew, and you know it, and they know it, or at least you think you know it, and they know it. But it feels that way. Well, this woman uh, didn't just feel this way existentially. She would have been regarded very, very much as an outcast by at least Jesus' troop. Not only his disciples, but his nation. There was a Berlin Wall that separated this woman from the common life of Israel. And so I want to talk about her today and Christ's interaction with her. So let me speak about three things today. I want to talk about the dog lady, and I want to talk about the unpredictable Christ, and I want to talk about miracle crumbs. And hopefully we'll taste some of those together and have a miracle ourselves. So something about the dog lady. Let's work through the text together. This is from Matthew 15. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, a contextual word will really help us understand the depth of this story. Um, Jesus just finished wrapping up a profoundly contentious discussion with Pharisees about handwashing a ritual purity how do you engage in cultic religious acts in a sacred holy way and we might not ever think about those things but they did and the reason that they thought about them was because of the issue of defilement there was a debate between Jesus and the Pharisees about how people are really polluted how do they become bad how do we turn and many people in Jesus's day thought it was like rap music and tattoos and if you just stayed away from external negative influences like rap music and tattoos and heavy metal and ska, um, well, that they're probably right about that, the ska, um, then, then you could be pure. But, but if you let yourself participate in those activities, you would become terribly tainted. And it's a slippery slope, and it starts with not washing your hands correctly. Well, Jesus had a very different understanding of defilement. He said, oh, no, 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 it's too late. It's, it's before the rap music starts. It's before the ska begins. You're already tainted because it's in your heart. It's in your core. It's in your command center. There's, there's a nuclear reactor that's not working right on the inside of you. And that's where the defilement comes from. Well, they had this debate. And then what does Jesus do immediately after the debate is over? Walks into the most unclean place on the planet what would have been regarded as the most unclean place on the planet, like the, the capital of transactional paganism. So it was economically successful and thoroughly pagan, Tyre and Sidon. And he goes right to this place deliberately. Uh, and there meets this woman, this Gentile Canaanite woman. It's interesting, Matthew calls her a Canaanite. And you may know that the Canaanites have a slightly negative presence in the bible the canaanites are are the people who were in palestine whenever the jews were freed from their egyptian captivity they were told to go into the land of canaan and essentially get rid of in all sorts of interesting ways the canaanite peoples who were thoroughly pagan and into child sacrifice and all sorts of horrific things so this woman is a descendant of the peoples that still existed in the land because Israel didn't uh, do the job, right? They didn't get rid of the Canaanites, so this lady is a descendant of that thoroughly paganized race. But she has this epiphany that this Jesus is a profound man, is an, beyond an intelligent man. He's a man with power. He's a man with authority, even over ailment and disease and a spiritual and psychological sickness. And so he he has hope writ on his face. At least that's what this woman is seeing. And I think it's fascinating that knowing this, she throws caution to the wind, and she rushes to Jesus, and she pleads and grovels before Jesus, the man who says to all of us, come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And maybe that's what she was expecting, and instead he calls her a hound dog, which is different from her expectations, no doubt. Uh, And so she's a dog lady, according to Jesus. She's a dog lady, and he hits her with that insult, slams her down with those words. So that leads to point two. We have the dog lady and her very challenging background, and we have this unpredictable Christ this is verse 23. But he did not answer her a word and his disciples came and begged him saying send her away for she is crying out for after us he answered i was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of israel but she came and knelt before him saying lord help me and he answered it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs now Note the contrast between this Jesus and the Jesus that is so often displayed in our stained glass and Christian iconography, right? That's the sort of hippie German Jesus with the long flowing hair who looks like he just popped an Ambien, who's carrying a sheep that also looks like it's munched down on some Ambien, but everybody is really peaceful and tranquil and Zen. This is not the Zen Jesus. This is the contending Jesus. This is the confrontational Jesus who confronts Not somebody of lofty station or of a pharisaical quality, a religious hypocrite. No, he's confronting a woman with a devastated daughter. It's very unusual. He says, first of all, he says nothing to her. When that doesn't work, he focuses his mission and says, you're not part of it. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When that doesn't work, he calls her a dog. Now, lots of people have tried to soften this passage by saying, well, Jesus calls her like a puppy dog, like like a cute little puppy that would be part of the family anyway. Not really. Um, When you're called a dog in the first century, it's not a compliment. Uh, In fact, that's the word that many Jews used for Gentiles when they were writing polemics against them. They called them dogs to suggest that they were subhuman. And so Jesus is, is using that label so often used by Jews in the first century for this Gentile woman, this suffering woman. Now, why? What on earth is Jesus doing? Now, there are lots of explanations out there. Let me give you the dumbest one so we can get it out of the way first. This is the dumbest. Jesus was a racist, and this lady enlightened him. And after meeting her, he thought, you know what? I really have to change my worldview. That's dumb. That's not what this text is about. Um, remember, this is the Christ who came into the world knowing that he would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it was for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Jesus himself said that. He had, in fact, a very big perspective on what his mission would eventually accomplish, that it would create a multinational redemption and a kingdom that would transcend nations and languages and barriers, But for his earthly mission, he was sent principally to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, uh, as were many of the other prophets, almost all of them. And so the question has to be asked what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? I believe that Jesus is helping this beleaguered woman to find her voice, to go deeper, and to wrestle with God. It's essentially very similar to what God does with Jacob in the Old Testament. Whenever the Israelite people are being solidified as a people, there is a very bizarre enactment that takes place between God or an angel, hard to tell, and Jacob, right? The scoundrel. They wrestle, and strangely enough, God lets Jacob prevail. And at that point, Jacob gets a name change and becomes Israel. His redeemed name means one who wrestles with God, which is fascinating. That's not his BC name. That's his AD name, right? One who wrestles with God. That's what it means to be a redeemed person, that you're a person that contends with the Almighty, that you hash things out uh, with God. And I think that this woman, in many ways, is posited in a not dissimilar way, where she is wrestling, wrestling with the truth of what Jesus is presenting, wrestling with it deeply um, and aggressively, And out of this experience does come a preview of the book of Acts and Jesus' expansive kingdom, multinational kingdom. But she contends. But I want to notice how she contends. She contends in a strange way. She doesn't tell him off, she doesn't storm out, she doesn't give him an infelicitous hand gesture. Instead, she does something shocking. She agrees with his insult. She agrees. She doesn't defend herself. She agrees. She says, that's, if you want to call me that, if you want to call me a dog, that's okay. Fair enough. I'm a dog. But what I'm asking for are the rights of a dog. If I am a dog and I'm waiting for the scraps that happen to fall off of a table, would you just let me eat the dirty crumbs? That'll be enough for me. Treat me like a dog. I'll eat the garbage. Now, some people might think about this woman, how pathetic she is. I mean, how pathetic, groveling, debasing herself, throwing away her pride, not living her truth. I don't think that's pathetic at all. I think this woman is a hero. I think she's brave. I think she's bold. I think she's incredible. Because she had the courage to get low. She had the courage not to defend herself endlessly, But instead, to say, maybe there's a higher truth. Maybe there's a a dark perspective on my own life that I need to look through on occasion. She does something rather brave. She accepts a rather jarring truth. Wait a minute, maybe I'm a dog. Maybe I'm an outsider. Maybe in some ways the sinful contortions present in the human condition have made me, in some sense, subhuman. And maybe she's not just herself. Maybe I would contend she's just a picture of the human race. She's a microcosm of all of us. We are all this woman in the sense that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And in the sense that we were all born, to quote St. Paul, children of what? You know it. Wrath. This is just who we are by nature. That is, we've fallen so far into a dismal and dark fate of God rejection and health rejection that we have lost the fullest expression of God's image within us. And so we have, in a sense, become subhuman. And she is willing to own that in the moment. She's willing to own it. I am an untouchable. You can call me a dog. It's all right. And I want to just remind us that Jesus is a bit of a wild man. You know, he's not predictable. He's not some like card-punching, tamed accountant. He's not, the, he's not the vision of somebody that's predictable in our minds. Instead, he is a gritty pioneer with a gut sense all of his own. And this is why the Christian life is not about tamed management. Instead, it's about being placed in the hands of an unpredictable, unwieldy, wild grace, which will take us in all sorts of fascinating directions, and some of them very difficult, but for an ultimate good. So I have a friend who owned a pottery shop in Manhattan in the 70s, and uh, she once made a very beautiful vase that took her a great deal of time. Didn't want to sell it because she put so much of her heart and soul into it. But uh, a customer uh, who was uh, very, very wealthy came in and offered several thousand dollars for it. So she parted ways with it. But this friend was so attached to the vase that she wrote a devotional. This is funny. Based on the vase, what if this vase could talk? What would it say to the customer about its own experience? There's a spiritual lesson here. This is what she wrote fascinating, and it's really, I think, impressive. So she said, I pictured the vase offering uh, this particular customer a monologue about its own pilgrimage. You want to purchase me now, says the vase, but I wasn't always this way. I look really beautiful as you stare at me, but a while ago, I was an ugly, filthy lump of clay in the ground. But this person, this master potter, dug me up took me out of the ground, and carried me to his shop. And he put me in his hands, and I was gently warmed by his touch. But then he started to punch me and smash me and wedge me, and it hurt so badly. And I said at first, politely, would you please stop it? Like, don't mess with me like that. I want to stay this lump of clay, very flexible. I'm happy with the way that I am. But the master potter said, no, 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 I'm just starting with you. Then the master potter put me on this machine that started spinning me around and around faster and faster. And I said, would you stop it? Are you out of your mind? This is no way to treat anything. And the master potter then began to dig his fingers into me as I was spinning and said, I'm simply not done with you yet. Then as soon as I started to rest and dry, finally feeling a little bit secure and better about myself, the master potter decided to put me into an oven and turned up the heat. And I shouted in a bold voice, I can't take this. Get me out of here. But the master potter said, not yet, not yet. Finally, after a long time, I came out of the oven a little harder, a little tougher, a little stronger. And I said, thank heavens, finally I'm done. I'm in nice shape, and I'm strong. But then the master potter started slathering this horrible smelling stuff all over me. And I grimaced, and I winced. And worst of all, he then put me back into the oven and turned up the heat even hotter than before. And I screamed out, this is ridiculous. I said, anyone who would put anyone in an oven like this is hateful and horrible. And then breathless and furious and exhausted, he took me out of the oven. And I was so freaked out by that time, the master potter simply put me on the top shelf just to cool down for a long while. And I did. I became still and calm and cool. And then the master potter took me over to a mirror and showed me what I, at long last, looked like. I was shimmering and strong and beautiful. And you, the customer, you want me now. But that's because you didn't know what I looked like then, before all this risk, before all this formation, before I met the master potter well when we engage with jesus christ we're engaging with someone who is unpredictable in his methods and means not tame but good and our unpredictable christ sought out this wild woman in the midst of mordor you know he drew her out and then made her engage with a very deep truth that all of us are really devastated and she needed to own that for whatever reason but then there's the issue of the miracle, the miracle crumb. This is verse 27. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, "O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You know, Jesus often illustrates the power of the kingdom of God using very small things, seeds, leaven, lost pearls, small treasures hidden in a big field. And here, a crumb. The woman seems to agree with this and think along these lines. And she said, look, I don't need a six-course dinner. I don't need to even be invited. I don't need to receive the fancy stationery. I don't need you to acknowledge me. You don't need to know my name. I just want the garbage. And if you just let me have the morsel that falls down onto the dirty floor, I'll eat it. And I'll say thank you. And I'll be okay. He was so impacted by what she says here that her daughter, this spiritually and psychologically damaged young woman, is never damaged again in the same way. And he says, woman, great is your faith. There's only one other person he says that to in the Gospels, and it's not a disciple. It's a Gentile centurion who comes to Jesus and says, look, my servant is really sick. You don't need to visit my home. And you know, say an incantation. If you just tell me right now that he's going to be okay, he'll be okay. I just take your word for it. And he says, you have great faith. I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. So he reserves this high, lofty compliment for these two Gentiles, people on the other side of the Berlin Wall, because Jesus knew through his death he would knock down that Berlin Wall once and forever. Um, so this story declares a shocking and stirring meta-message, and it's this. And it's a message that we have to cope with day in and day out until kingdom comes. And it's, it's this message. The kingdom doesn't go to the trophy winners. It doesn't go to the well-heeled and well-read, to the, the Harvard grads, to the TED Talk talkers, to the private island owners, to the favorite siblings that did everything right. No, the kingdom has gone to the dogs. The kingdom has gone to the dogs, to those of low degree, to those who are unsophisticated, to those who have track marked arms, to those who are devastated by life. Jesus walks among them because he knows them. He knows the dogs because he himself was regarded as a dog, as the pathetic one, as the loser, as the outsider, as the one that the party uh, never wanted, right? He was the one who was the criminal, the phony, the liar, the one made vulnerable, vulnerable unto death. Because Jesus knew, as this woman was soon to understand, that the secret of life is not self-defense or self-assertion, but self-recognition. Owning our negative. Getting low when we need to get low. And saying, look, I don't deserve all the good things in my life. I'm not the mechanic behind all of the love and joy in my experience. It's all just a gift. It's a gift. And when I do something wrong in my life or have a pattern in my life that is destructive, I need to stop blaming everything else besides myself. Everything else in the world, everything else in society, all men, all women, my ex, whatever it is. Did they do damage? Sure. But I encourage you to see through the eyes of this woman to say, you know what? It might be me. Maybe it's me. And maybe I can be healed. Maybe love can find me in the midst of my own darkness. And what if I could be made well and forgiven and loved and treasured and important? Because that really can happen. That's the secret. T.S. Eliot knew it. The way up is first the way down. This is why we get low before communion. This is why Cranmer makes us recount this story in every communion service because of the prayer of humble access. We come to this table and we say, and you know it, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under this, your table, but you are the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. So tonight, when you get the scraps from this table, the body and blood of a king whose kingdom has happily gone to the dog's, Remember that he turns all wretches into royalty. Amen.